91.7 WVXU is proud to support this and other locally produced podcasts through its podcast network. For an easy-to-navigate curated list of some of the best local and national podcasts, visit Podcast Central at wvxu.org slash podcastcentral. Welcome to The Twelfth Story, a book discussion podcast produced by Cincinnati's Mercantile Library, where readers gather to engage, connect, debate, and discuss. The Mercantile Library is 182 years old and is the literary center of Cincinnati. Throughout the year, the Mercantile Library hosts authors, speakers, book discussion groups, and other civic events. We are a working library with more than 80,000 books available to members. We're located at 414 Walnut Street in downtown Cincinnati and online at www.mercantillibrary.com. And we always welcome new members and guests. This is the second edition of our interview-based format we're calling the Founder Series. Our library was formed by an ambitious group of entrepreneurs with a thirst for knowledge and self-improvement. As a tribute to their grit and ingenuity, we'll be talking to founders of local companies, large and small, about their entrepreneurial journeys and what they've read along the way. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by Rye Walker, founder of Astronomer, a data engineering platform. Rye, welcome to the 12th story. Uh, thanks for having me. This is amazing up here. So yeah, what were your uh, first sort of uh, feelings and thoughts upon walking into uh, our space? Oh wow! Um, that I'd like to spend time here uh, is really the main thing. It's it's uh, it definitely feels like there's a lot of historical significance to to the library. Um, I'm sad that I you know I'm at the age I am now and I've never been in. So uh, yeah, I think it's it's a cool it's a cool um, idea. Uh, 182 years ago, ago, and it's still a cool thing today uh, to, to preserve it and uh, keep it going. So tell us, uh, tell us about yourself. Where, where did you grow up? What, uh, you know, what inspired you growing up to, to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, so Northeast Ohio. Um, I came to Cincinnati in 1990 to come to University of Cincinnati. Um, what inspired me to become an entrepreneur? Uh, I think it's just ambition. Um, you know, there's only a few ways to become wealthy in this world. Uh, you know, you can be a professional athlete or an actor or a performer of some sort, and I didn't really think that was the right path. Um, you don't have any hidden talents? Or yeah, you can't, not, I mean, I was... You're I was, not like a no. singer or something? No, I played basketball and tennis in high school, but not to the level that I could get paid millions for it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, let's see, then uh, what else can you do? You could become a professional. You can become a doctor or a lawyer, you know, one of those kind of people. That requires a lot of um, discipline, which I lacked. So kind of struck that one off the record. So That's you know, interesting that you say that. It's a theme among entrepreneurs that I've spoken with is this sort of lack of ability to focus or, or have like a specific discipline. I couldn't imagine waiting till I'm 30 to start, you know, like there was no way. There was no way I could wait till 30 to start my, you know, like it's like that's how long it takes to become a you know, a, a surgeon yeah. or, a, you know, a, a lawyer who actually makes some money. Uh, I don't even know if 30 is 30 even young for that. It might be. Um, so, yeah, so really the only path left is um, is entrepreneur. Uh, so I started started businesses when I was um, during college, basically. But what was the first business you started? Oh, God. A car wash, car wash business, car detailing, actually. When you were, like, very young or? No, it was, it was during college. During college. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, just, I had a notebook. I wish I still had the notebook because it would be hilarious to look at of just, you know, writing down ideas and trying different things. Um, the first one that I actually made decent money on was computer training. Um, 
This was after I left school. So I, I only attended school for two years and, and blew out of there. It's just it was moving too slow for me. Uh, so, uh, you know, I was pretty... What were you studying? Computer science. It was boring. I mean, we were basically doing pointless things, you know? So, yeah, again, I think maybe we talked about this before, but I'm kind of anti-institutional um, <laughs> education, uh, in, especially now. I mean, this was back in, like, 92 that I quit school, um, and information wasn't as much at your fingertips. But now in 2017, I don't know. I think it's... I'm, I'm paying right now for my son to go to college, um, and... It's just... Uh, How does that make you feel, right? He's learning German. That's kind of cool, right? He's having fun with his friends. He's sure. learning to play guitar. Uh, social development is an important thing. But I just, I just think that the ROI of, of, of formal education versus like informal education, uh, they're out of whack. You know? When did you get your first computer? Uh, I'd say it was a TRS-80. So when did those come out? I don't know. I think in the 70s sometime. So I was pretty young. I was under 10. Describe that for some of our listeners who might <laughs> not know what that looks like. The TRS-80 used a cassette tape to, to load software. So like, if you wanted to load a certain program, you remember how cassette tapes used to have a counter on mm. them? So you'd rewind the tape to the start, hit that 000 button. You probably have no idea what I'm talking I about. I do. Okay. I, was, I was on the cusp. <laughs> okay. I, had, I, I owned and operated cassette, uh, okay. cassette tapes. <laughs> so you'd go back, and you'd have like a little piece of paper written down that you know, Dancing Demon starts at 66. Mm. So if I wanted to load the Dancing Demon program, I had to like fast forward the tape player to 66, hit play, and it would send sound into the computer, which loaded software, and, th and that's how we, and you could obviously record. It's just it's bizarre to think how it worked, but you could record sound to save programs. So that's probably the most distinctive part. It was black and white. Mm. I think it was um, the graphical revolution or resolution was like 127 by 48 pixels. So if you think about your phone, I don't know how many pixels are on your phone right now, but this whole computer's graphical capability was 127 pixels across by 48. They were just the blocks. They were like ASCII blocks. I know we're getting pretty technical here, but uh, it was. Um, it it's was, all right. We have a, an extremely <laughs> nerdy listenership. Yeah, so I'm sure the TRS is in good yeah. company. Yeah, and so then it just went from there. Tandy 1000. You know. What What initially drew you to computers? Um, wow, that's. A, I mean, it's a great question. Um, I've. I, I'd say I'm an early adopter. I've always been an early adopter of, of everything. Um, um, I, I, maybe it, there's like a curiosity. I'd say there's a curiosity that I have that. Um, draws me to all the things that are new. Um, so, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm right with the 20-year-olds on technology. There's, you know, and at some point people get old and they're like, oh, yeah, those kids, they, like, no, I know, I know all the stuff. I'm still playing with all the stuff, and, I'll, and I hope I'll do that forever, you know. Maybe at some point I'll become an old dude, but not yet. <laughs> so, you know, first, first business, a car detailing uh, company. <laughs> Walk me through some of the other businesses you started and kind of you know, how you, how you got to Astronomer. Yeah, so I'd say the big, so again, um, the computer training thing, I actually made money on. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, it quickly, that was around like 93 or so that I started computer training. 94, 95, um, we, something new was happening in the world. Uh, guess what it was? Does anyone have any guess here? <laughs> uh, I could venture like, what, a guess. What, what I think you, there was some kind of communication platform that was developed. That's right. There was this thing called Mosaic, a uh, web browser. Um, and it, I was on bulletin boards and CompuServe and Prodigy and AOL and all that stuff. But the, the commercial internet was started yep. essentially right around 94, 95. We started a web development company in 1995. Um, and uh, it was, we, we were in, I, I lived downtown Cincinnati, which is a cool thing. 
uh, now, and it was, wasn't so much cool then, <laughs> but I lived on Garfield Place and are off on the street, and we just walked around into businesses and unplugged their fax machine, um, and hooked it into the computer, showed them the internet, showed them the web, and said, do you want to buy a website? And they're like, please plug our fax machine back in. There's important faxes coming. <laughs> and so I think our first deal, we sold something for like 800 bucks um, to an insurance agency. It took us like six months to build the website. It was a horrible like, return on investment. But you know, it launched a business that we ended up growing into 30 people, and we actually sold the company in 99. So over a five-year period or four-year period, you know, we grew a, a business from you know, uh, literally a visionary point of view to the, to the point that there were so many web development companies at that point yeah. that it was saturated. The first uh, dot-com bubble, as they say. Yeah, and it, the bubble didn't really hit to like 2000, 2001, but, so we sold it ahead of that, but um, unfortunately we sold it for mostly equity, uh, and that's, that's a, a lesson learned right there. <laughs> what are some of the other lessons you learned in that process? Well, I think confident. I mean, confident, I learned co about confidence I still learn about confidence. Um, confidence is so important in business, and it's it's so elusive because you have to, you have to. It's not like actual, not bravado, you know. Yeah. Like actual confidence can only be gained through like success. Mm. Um, so, but there's, you could choose to kind of push the push the envelope of confidence, or choose to like, you know be drug along, you know, and barely having enough confidence for where you should should, and so and. In business development and recruiting and everything, it's just so critical. And so, I learned that back then. I was I wasn't very confident back then because I was a twenty. I was in my twenties, you know, and I was hiring people that were ten years older than me. Yeah. I was selling to people who were twenty, thirty years older than me, trying to convince them that my worldview was correct. And that's tough for a young person. Um, even now, though, you know, with, with astronomer fundraising, you know, we're we're walking into these. Um, you know, VCs that are well known, like like superstar VCs, and it's it's tough to have your confidence level where it needs to be to get their money, but you have to have it there or else they won't give you the money. So mm. it's um, uh, you know, my confidence has grown a lot since we started even Astronomer over the past two years. So tell tell me about how you started Astronomer. What what gave you the spark for the idea? Uh, I'm, I mean, mostly it's the fact that there's um, data is uh, there's this data data revolution. We call it the data revolution, or you could think of it as another. You know, there was the, the the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution, and, and I'd argue that we're in a data revolution right now, um, uh, which will culminate in artificial intelligence and, and you know sentient robots. Like all this stuff is is coming. I think we all know it's going to be here. Is it going to be here in five years, ten years, or thirty years? We don't know that yet. But uh, all that's powered by data. Um, companies that are um, ignorant of this or, or just basically operating as if it's 1970 still are, are going to be in big trouble. And there's a lot of companies that want to invest in this. So, uh, you What know. does that mean, operating like it's 1970? Well, I'll give you an example. I was in Ireland last week, which was amazing. Uh, and I, we visited a, a, a company that's um, uh, uh, two, 2 billion euro revenue. Uh, they call it turnover, but yeah, revenue company. And, uh, and they literally, he said it. He, that's why it's that that thought was in my head, they don't, everything's paper there. Mm. And a two billion, I mean, this is like a hundred, a hundred million euro um, uh, division. They, but they manufacture, you know, and it's all paper. Uh, they use an access database. If anyone knows what access is, that's something that was from the 90s, it, you know? I have no idea what it is, but yeah, it's, it it's, sounds it's early, antiquated. Early Microsoft database before SQL Server came out. So, I mean, they're, they're just like, and, and they're, they're doing okay, but they have problems that can be solved w with data um, 
data analysis, um, predicting things that are going to happen in the factory. Like they know that if they make this mistake, that it'll create a backup and that'll create a shortage of these parts and that'll create a shutdown of the line. And, and so they know that this stuff happens. They know that the data could be collected to avoid that. Um, but right now they're, they're, they're living in, well, I say 70s, let's say 90s. Uh, mm. They're in the 90s right now. They at least have an access database. But So um, let's back up for a second and w tell, why don't you explain to our listeners, like, what, what is Astronomer? Sure. And, um, you know, how did it come to be? Yeah, so it's, it's a data, it's a data uh, engineering platform. And what that means is, uh, and again, this is getting so technical, so it feels strange to be so technical in this room here with all these books, you know? <laughs> but, well, it's, it's funny <laughs> you say that because that's, I think that that's exactly what our founders were doing yeah. at that time. This was technology, it, it was, right? It was technology at the time, and they were sitting around trying to innovate together, yeah. learning from each other. This yeah. was an, like, there were no professionals here. Mm. There were no doctors and lawyers here when it was founded. It was all entrepreneurs. And, and this is, this, these are the kinds, I think these are the kinds of discussions <laughs> they were having. Maybe yeah. not the language we're using, but sure. yeah, same I know. idea. I know. I, I, I have to keep reminding myself that, uh, that, that, that connection. So anyway, what, what's, what's Astronomer, what's the platform do? Um, with the rise of data science, um, data scientists need data to be easily accessible to do their job well. And in most companies, especially when they land, the first data scientist that lands in a new company is basically you know, walking into a barren wasteland of data. Um, and so what we'd like to say is the astronomer just helps get the data in motion. Um, most people have their data locked up in a vault, and it needs to be secure, and that's important. But if that's all it's doing, if it's locked up in a vault, it's not, it's not doing any work for the company, and it could be doing work for the company. So our platform just literally gets it out of its, out of its uh, secure vault, puts it in motion, maybe combines it, runs algorithms, you know, um, pushes it to dashboards or machine learning algorithms or... Um, data science consultancies that can help have a look at it and maybe uh, come up with ideas. Um, you know, if you're a data science consultant and you go walk into a customer, you know, like, getting them to send you data is going to be a big, big challenge. So we're trying to get these companies to, to, um, to behave more like um, Airbnb is kind of the inspiration and Groupon. These big tech startups, they, they have just this amazing machinery, and they've open sourced almost all of it. Hmm. So we've taken all this open source, um, all the pieces, built a platform that we can bring to really any company, whether it's an early stage company or a later stage company, to act like Airbnb does with its data. So how did you, how did you get started with this? Yeah, what, so what gave you... What initially gave you that idea? So we had, we had a, um, so yeah, I've started a lot of companies. Uh, in 2013, we started a company called Differential, which is a, a dev shop. Um, and we were basically building software for companies, but we were also working on our own little ideas. Um, so it was, it was, we called it a venture studio, which means it was, um, uh, the, the whole goal of it was for it to, to launch new ventures, yeah. you know? Um, and so one of our projects was called User Cycle. It was a little um, analytics product. And the problem we had with that product was it was easy to explain the value prop to customers. It was easy to get their money. Uh, let's say it took four weeks, a four-week cycle, sales cycle. There was a six-week cycle after that of getting the data from the company to, to actually enable the product. And it was actually probably twice as hard to get the data as it was to get the sale. And we just recognized, like, we were just one little tool in a, in a sea of, at the time, like, there, there was this chart of 3,000 um, tools, you know, for marketing, um, uh, analytics tools, third-party tools. Uh, every one of these 3,000 tools must have the same problem with their customers. So we just recognize, like, 
for this thing to work, external anal analysis of data that's locked away, um, something has to change in the world for that to be true. And so, yeah, we, we, we basically just started attacking that problem. Uh, it kind of led us to our current configuration. And tell me about the name. Astronomer. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I literally found, we were cleaning up our, um, I don't know if you, we have a Google Drive with like all the documents we ever make. And mm -hmm. after a couple of years, like it gets to be pretty, uh, you know, uh, messy. And so we were just cleaning that stuff out. And I found the original document, um, the product vision for Astronomer. Um, and uh, the reason we called it Astronomer was because it was associated with this technology uh, called Meteor. Uh, Meteor is a, a new web framework uh, to build it for building web apps. And uh, everything in that ecosystem was space-themed, you know, because this product was called Meteor, so there was like atmosphere, and uh, so there was a conference called Space Camp. So everything was space-themed. Mm. And so we just chose a space-themed name. It's kind of a... You know, we've, we've since then we've backed into the idea that you know, like astronomers study data. I mean, that's really all they do, um, and and it kind of matches up a little bit with our our data theme as well. But uh, originally, it, it was just to match the theme of a sure. ecosystem. So, and it's not just that they study data, but they use that data to make predictions. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we think it's and it's really hard too. Like being an astronomer. Yeah. I mean, they literally had, um, there's a person, a role of a, a human used to be called a computer. I, I think what's, it's hidden figures kind of made that obvious too, like that people were called computers at one point. But before there were computers, there were humans that did computing and they, yeah. they were called computers. And that was a very important role in, a, in an astronomy and uh, an astronomer's um, uh, operation. So um, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of data crunching that had to happen. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, um, we, and we're also huge fans. Like ironically, we're all, we're attracting people. Like we literally had a person from uh, Louisville who found us because she was looking for astronomy clubs in Cincinnati. Oh wow. She, she was also a data, you know, data person too. She joined the company because of that connection. And so we're kind of attracting like people who are interested in space and astronomy and all that yeah. kind of stuff too. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting little um, benefit of having a, um, a name that it means something else. <laughs> when, when did you feel like things were really gaining traction and you guys were really starting to um, make some moves? Um, I mean, fundraising is a... It, it's, you, people always say, like, raising money is not success. And it's, it's true. Like, that's not, like, getting customers and right. delivering value. But uh, I'll tell you, it can be very motivational to close a round and, and extend your, run, your runway. Um, so I'd have to say, like, last summer we... Um, we had a, a month where we more than doubled our revenue in one month. It was last August. Um, and that felt really good from a customer standpoint. Right around the same time, we closed our, our uh, a multi-million dollar fundraising round. Hmm. So that was a good, that was a good time. Uh, made us feel really good right around then. I'm sure we could do an entire episode on this, but what, tell me just briefly what goes into a VC pitch. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. It depends on the stage. Um, if it's super early stage, uh, really, there's like four things you want to focus on. It's the quality of the team. Like, why are we the right people to be doing this thing? Um, and you have to have a pretty good answer to that, or else you're, you know, checked off. So there's like many ways to like get get disqualified, and that's yeah. why and that's why VCs generally in, in, you know invest in one out of a hundred things that they hear is because there's just so many ways to disqualify yourself. So if you're the wrong people, you're out. If the if the um, product vision isn't clear or big enough, that's another way to get knocked out. You know, if you say, "I just want to open up a barber shop," like you're out. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, what kind of a barber you are. Most VCs are going to kick you out at that point. Um, 
The other thing is traction. Like, do you have, I would say, is there interesting things going on in the Petri dish? Uh, doesn't necessarily mean revenue. It just means that people care about what you're building. If, if you've just been working in your basement on a product idea and take it to an investor, they're going to say, no, like, go talk to some people. Prove that the world wants this thing. Um, and then finally, it's the market size. You know, if you're building something inside of a potentially a billion-dollar market, that's interesting. If you're building something that's, you know, again, let's say we're doing um, walking tours for Cincinnatians, and that's the extent of our vision. You say the vision, the market for that is not big enough to warrant an outside investment. So, yeah, I, I think that there's um, those are the four main criteria. As you move later stage, you have to start having things like, you know, uh, a model and a repeatable sales process and and you know, like all kinds of additional features, but I think those four things are core. Even at our stage, like we have to have, we have to nail those four topics uh, to get the next round. And I think it's true forever. Those are the, the foundation. So, talk to me about uh, being part of the Cincinnati um, startup ecosystem and what that's like and what that is. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, uh, you know, whenever you join any ecosystem, you feel like an imposter. You know, there's the imposter syndrome. It's a sure. standard thing, and it's unavoidable, even if you know about the, the theory. And that the theory there is, like, everyone feels like an imposter, you know? And, um, and knowing that helps you not feel so much like an imposter. But, yeah, in the beginning, I didn't feel like I belonged, you know? I, I was... Um, Why not? Uh, just because... Um, well, just because I didn't. I was new, you know? Like... Uh, if I joined this library and I was sitting downstairs reading a book and some people walked in, I would feel like, you know, they don't know who I am. Do I really belong here? You know, why is this guy here? Why is he on a laptop? Let's say no, <laughs> uh, no. But you know, it, so I think I think that there there, there was that feeling initially. Um, I started doing meetups. You know, we, I participated in Startup Weekend. I started volunteering for various things, and, and very quickly, I'd say in the first year or so um, of the Renaissance, like. There was a startup Cincy ecosystem back in the 90s that kind of died away as soon as the bubble burst. And then about 10 years later, it rose again, you know, yeah. and with the start of Centrifuge. Um, I, I got super involved with Centrifuge. I was one of their first meetings when they were just three people, you know. What just, is Centrifuge? Uh, so Centrifuge is, um, it's a, it, they basically have raised, it's basically a, the, the big companies in town have put together some money to, to stimulate innovation. Um, and startups, so they they have a fifty-five million dollar fund of funds. They actually invest in other in, in other uh, VCs, which causes them to to come into our ecosystem and mix with it. You know, maybe even make investments in in the ecosystem. Uh, they also have a great space up on Main Street or Vine Street, um, thirteen hundred eleven Vine Street is um, uh, an amazingly restored building um, that we have meetups and, and events at. So. Um, yeah, it's it's a it, to me it's kind of the central um, central point to the startup ecosystem here in Cincinnati. Like Brandery's in there, Cincy Tech's in there. So those are brand, just uh, briefly Brandery's. <laughs> what are those? I'm getting down this trail, huh? Yeah. So Brandery's the top a top national accelerator, uh, and then Cincy Tech's uh, uh, the biggest uh, seed stage investor in town. Cool. So tell me. So how how are things going at Astronomer? How are you guys doing right now? Uh, we are hiring people like crazy, and it feels like um, you know. You know, it, we know we're basically uh, so using a rocket analogy. We're blasting out into space right now. We're put, you know, full throttle. Mm -hmm. So um, two things can happen there. You either get out into space or you blow up, right, <laughs> in a bad way. And so 
we are um, we're in that stage right now where it's 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 scary and it's shaky and we hope we get out there and it, I don't think it ever there really is an out there it's just it's always going to be scary and shaky running a business but at this point like we've just added a bunch of new people to the team um, we've got very ambitious product plans we're growing the sales team we're doing all the stuff simultaneously which makes it really hard you know it's much better in life to figure things out sequentially versus having everyone do things at yeah. the same time. A um, bunch of new developers. So it's, it's a scary time for us, but we think we're doing the right thing. Uh, we are we're pushing hard, and, and this is how uh, uh, startups in Chicago and, and in the Valley operate. So we're, we're basically trying to pretend as if we aren't afraid of uh, <laughs> risk, you know? <laughs> what, so as, you know, as I mentioned, this is a, a book discussion podcast, and we're mm. a library, so I do want to ask you about what you have read, what you are reading, um, that has either inspired you, entertained you, um, or helped you in your in yeah. your journey as an entrepreneur. It's interesting. When I was in my twenties, I probably read a thousand books. Like I read so many books. Um, I think now that the internet exists, it's hard. I, I in podcasts too. I mean, I listen to at least an hour of podcasts a day, mm. and you you know you can't really. And there's only so much time in the day to to feed your brain versus and I have three kids and a wife and you know a house and which has a yard that needs mowed and you know so I can listen to podcasts while I'm mowing and that fulfills that so I guess maybe read books could I just talk about like consuming content or is it are we talking oh, about books sure, only? yeah <laughs> I, we have a we have a very broad definition of literature yeah, yeah. I think I think great podcasts great films music it's all included yeah so yeah. what what podcasts do you listen to I listen to, let's see, the, the one that I've, I've listened to the most lately, which is kind of embarrassing, is uh, there's a podcast called The Adventure Zone, which is um, uh, these, this co these, a comedy group, uh, my brother and my brother and me, they have a bunch of other little podcasts, mm. but The Adventure Zone is them just playing D&D, &D. Like, like two brothers, I think a friend and, and their dad playing D&D &D and recording that, um, and I'm, I've probably listened to like, in the past three or four months, like, 30 hours of that content. Yeah. Did it, you play D&D &D growing yeah, up? Yeah, I did. I, not not for much, just, like, for, like, a summer or two. You yeah. know, I had a little cruise, but, it, you know, good memories of that time. Right. And it's just so casual. It's, like, it's like good casual listening. Um, and it's it's comedy, too, so I'm a big comedy fan. Um, uh, and it's not, there's not too many comedy podcasts. So I pretty much listen to, like, startup or technology podcasts and this comedy podcast. Yeah. Like, some one comedy podcast kind of just, like bring it down a level. Um, on the business side, like the Andreessen Horowitz podcast is really good for startups. Like mm -hmm. everyone should be listening to that because they're one of the top investors and they're just sharing all their insights. And it's very data centric too, so it's really yeah. good for us. But um, I mean, Serial was a, an amazing, I don't know, did you listen to Serial? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of course. Multiple uh, times. S-Town, I just listened to that. S-Town uh, was great. Yeah. There's just John B. McIntyre. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think it's tricky for books, you know, to to win in this you know, this world now, where that kind of stuff's available and like so easy to so easy to consume. Uh, given that we're always on the run, but I still read. I read on my Kindle. Like right now, I'm rereading um, the Name of the Wind. Uh, so I, I I read a lot of um, like again. If I'm reading books, it's generally going to be <laughs> like one of I think is like how to pitch, how to demo a product. Sure, yeah. Like those are my, I'm reading those books and then I read like a fiction what book. What are some of the best of those? Of the, like the businessy books? Yeah. Um, I don't think there are any great ones. Like, um, 
I, I'd have to say, like... Besides your forthcoming. <laughs> no, I don't really have, like, business books. I mean, the best business books, like, I still talk about um, Red Ocean, Blue Ocean all the time. So I think it's called Blue Ocean Strategies was the name of the book. Mm -hmm. that, that's, like, so influential, and we talk about that all the time. Um, I think that there's... I mean, there's definitely some... Just corner. for listeners that yeah. might not know, what is it? what's a Blue Ocean? Well, the idea is, like, if you're in business, you want to be... Um, a, a Red Ocean would, would imply that there's blood in the water, right? right? Yep. So you want to basically come up with a strategy that creates a blue ocean for you. So like there's a, a concept in the book like strategically underdo your competition in some area. Like you can't, like let's say you're going after um, Walmart, right? Like you're not going to be able to beat Walmart at Walmart's game. So you could say strategically I want to have the place be smaller, you know? I want it to be higher quality foods. Like so you think like what Whole Foods is doing or, you know, some of these other places. Um, they're strategically underdoing Walmart in some one or you know one or many uh, categories. Um, and so yeah, I, I think about that all the time. Uh, it's 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 applicable to business all the time. Even even in little things like we're launching a partner program. Like we want to be different than our competitors' partner program in some way to in order for it to be a blue ocean opportunity. Um, versus like just if you just copy people exactly. Um, you're you're just you're it's harder to win. Mm. So yeah. So differentiation is a huge thing in startups too. So who are some uh, some other founders, some other companies locally that that we should we should look into? Maybe invite on the podcast. Yeah, that I are mean, exciting to you. First up, it would be Charlie Key from Los Hand. Uh, I don't know if you know him at all yet, but uh, he's he's um been he's one of the, the more successful people. He's he built a company in whatever 2012 and sold it in 2014. Um, and now he started another one. He's right, right the same stage as we are, raising money and building things. Um, he's one of my favorite guys. He's an investor and uh, astronomer, and he was in um, Differential. So yeah, I mean, he's he's a good guy, helping out the community in, in a lot of ways. Um, what does Losant do? Losant's an IoT platform. So Internet of Things. Internet of Things. Yeah. So if you if you're looking to build some idea using IoT, you kind of have to have some software to go to to. to Put all that stuff together, and so they're 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 basically building a um, a platform that lets like junior devs do cool shit with uh, um, with IoT. So awesome! I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah we're cool. We're cool like that. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We really appreciate your time. I know I know you're a busy guy. So yeah, my uh, pleasure. Again, um, thank you so much for coming to the library. All right, thanks, man. Thank you for joining us today on The Twelfth Story. We encourage you to subscribe via your preferred podcast app. We're available on the iTunes Store and on SoundCloud. And if you like listening, tell your friends or tweet to us at at MercantileLib. Today's podcast was directed and engineered by Chris Messick. Special thanks to our guest, Rye Walker. The Twelfth Story is a production of the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. Our theme music was created by Doug McDee. What's up, Doug? Don't forget to visit us online at www.mercantilelibrary.com where you can learn about our library and our upcoming events. Have a great week.